Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Fitter and Faster Coaches Corner. As always, I'm your host, Mike Murray. Delighted to have my guest, Coach Paul Donovan from the New Jersey uh, Wahoos Swim Club, join me today. And Paul has an extensive history in the sport. Paul is originally from Ireland and has extensive experience coaching their, their national team in the National Center for Performance. Uh, during that time, coached athletes such as Shane Ryan, Barry Murphy, is having some incredible success uh, the last few years at Jersey Wahoos, uh, especially in some distance events for some very talented young ladies that the staff has done an outstanding job there. Jersey Wahoos, longtime traditional power uh, in the Eastern zone. And Paul has taken over the last couple of years since 2018 and really done a great job transitioning from one staff to his new staff. And Paul, I know you are so excited about the athletes that you have on your team right now. And uh, give us a little bit about your history and, and your background in the sport. Coach, thanks for the kind words and thanks for uh, having me on today. Um, I, I've been here in, uh, with the Wahoos since um, you know, since August of 2018, so into our into our fifth season here now, and um, and you're right, we are we feel really excited and really lucky to to work with the the group of kids that we have here. Not not just at the the you know the top end of the program that I work directly with, but you know all right the way down into our age group program and into our entry level programs. And it just it's you know coaching is sometimes about the X's and O's and the times and the board. But, but I think beyond that, it's about the, the relationships. And um, I always try to reflect and remind myself how lucky I am to be a part of so many young people's lives. So we just feel privileged to be in this position. Coach, who are some of the people in your life as an athlete and as a coach who helped mentor you along the way and gave you your first experience and your first opportunities to become your own coach? Um, well, I was... You know, I grew up in in, in Dublin, um, in, in Ireland, and I, you know, I swam in a couple of swim clubs back there, and I was really lucky. Um, I had a fantastic age group coach, a man named Eamon Bean, who was a huge positive influence on me because I wasn't the world's greatest swimmer, but yet I always felt like I was really important when I was in the pool swimming with Eamon, and um, that gave me a great passion uh, for the sport and a real love for the for the sport and also a love for coaching because, you know, when I look back in it, I see the impact that, that a man like that had on me. Um, but I think in terms of my own, you know, swimming career, it's a bit different back home. I, you know, there wasn't really many avenues to swim post high school unless you're really good. So I stopped swimming and started, you know, teaching swim lessons and, and coaching 10 and unders when I went into college as a way to, you know, pay the bills um, and a way to, you know, fund my you know, new lifestyle when you when you when you spread your wings a little bit um and really again I was just really lucky as I got into coaching and teaching that I came across some really enthusiastic and knowledgeable people and um, back home in Dublin I worked for a, a coach named Earl McCarthy in Trojan Swim Club back in uh, back in Dublin and he really opened my eyes he was a Irish Olympian in 1996 and had trained internationally and um, in Germany and he just opened my eyes to a whole different world of swimming and um, he opened my eyes to to ask it to the American Swim Coaches Association and you know signed uh, you know us all up as members there and that just you know broadened uh, the range of knowledge um, and what we we thought was possible so I think that was a huge huge junction in my coaching career when that happened when 
working for Earl and, and joining Aska and the combination of those two things just leading me to a big, bigger, badder world that's out there. Um, and then, you know, I came to the US the first time in 2006 to just to gain some experience. And again, I was really lucky with the people that I met. Um, I got to volunteer at the University of Florida with uh, with Coach Greg Troy and Coach Martin Wilby and Coach Anthony Nesty. And, and they were obviously huge influences on me. Again, not so much in, in the X's and O's, but just more so in the art of coaching and how you treat people and how they treated me. And, you know, the experience I had made me want to stay involved and share that experience with more and more people. Oh, that's fantastic. And one of the things, Coach, that I so appreciate about your journey and, and that I share with you is I spent a lot of time coaching 10 and unders. How did that prepare you to be a head coach one day? What are some of the lessons, the best lessons that you learned working with that those age groupers, other than the fact that those kids come to practice every day ready to rock? Ready to run. They're just so much fun to be around. Um, I I loved loved my time um coaching the 10 and unders and 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 coaching younger kids and teaching swim lessons as well. You know, I did more teaching of swim lessons when I was in in college than I did of coaching swimming. Um and I just think you 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 know reminds you of of the fun and excitement that's involved in in uh, not just in swimming, just in young people and how we want to want to keep that going and, and be involved in it. Um, so that's the biggest thing about working with kids is just the, the excitement and the fun that they bring to the table. And it kind of reminds us that we've got to make sure that we meet them where they're at and we don't get too far ahead of ourselves and don't try to remove um, that natural inkling that they have to enjoy themselves. And we don't ever try to take it away from them. Sports got to be fun in, in order to get better. And it's a great segue for our topic today. One of the things that I really appreciate about you as I watched you coach alongside you at, at juniors was you were really locked into what your team was doing, who was warming up when, were they getting pace work in before they swim? These are things that I observed and that I try to learn from other coaches in the sport. And I saw you really locked in there. When I asked you for some topics that you, you sent me a great list, but the one that really uh, stood out to me was that patience leads to performance talk a little bit about that um so i think there's a, a couple of aspects to it I, I think the first thing is that you know especially when we're we're, we're coaching in club we're going to have kids potentially for for 10 plus years and 10 plus years at any juncture in your life is a long period of time and a, and a large chunk of it as well so we we don't need to fix the world's problems in the first hundred days um, we don't even need to fix them in the first few years um, really um, our job is to keep them coming back and, and, and keep them interested enough by teaching them new things over an extended period of time that they, they don't lose that interest and lose that passion um, so I think when you when you take a step back from it and you know I talk to the coaching staff a lot about the faceless athlete is that when we're doing our planning, we, we have to we have to remove the personalities and the emotion from it. And we have to look at what we have available to us. And what we have available to us is we have 300 kids in the program at any one time. And some of those kids might, might have a year left, might be, you know, seniors in high school. You know, some of them might have 10 years left because they might just be, you know, in our eight and under group. Um, and we don't have to force the issue. Even with those guys in their last year of the program at Wahoo's, we're hoping that they've got another four plus years of swimming in them. So 
you know, it's it's a long process and we nothing that happens today is going to um be to be all and end all. Absolutely. One of the things that's such a challenge for coaches this day and age with a new generation of athletes is that patience is something that can be a challenge to talk about. It's not something that you can't teach, but the youth of today is really used to getting things the second that they want it. And this is long talked about on every athletic podcast, every swimming podcast. We hear coaches talking about it's really hard for these athletes to grip process. What are some of the things that you and your staff do at Jersey Wahoos to help teach them how to be patient? Um, well, the, the first thing I'd say uh, about this generation of, of athlete is that, um, you know, I, I left school 20, 22 and a half years ago. And they are light years ahead and light years better of, of my generation of person. They leave swimmer out of it. Um, they are so much more engaged. They are so much more committed. Um, I, I can't imagine what, what it would be like to deal with the, a 16 year old Paul. Um, but I know dealing with the kids I'm working with now is they're, they're just light years ahead of, of where I was as a kid. So, you know, first thing we'd say about when we teach the process is we, we, we tell them what they're good at. Um, and we really try to zone in on, on their strengths and give them the feedback on what they're doing well. Um, and then that's what we spend most of our time talking about. And then as we observe, weaknesses or things that we'd like them to do better and um, we try to then create opportunities where they can be successful at those weaknesses so that then we can tell them how good they're doing at that uh, and try to build our confidence that they are able to do those things so try to remove the barriers from them between their between the things that they think they can do and the thing that they can't do um and then the other thing about patience is that you know we talk about things we ask them to think about it and then we come back and we talk about it again, whether it's in a couple of days or in a few weeks or, or whatever it may be. So we just try to slow the pace of those things down and remove the urgency. Again, nothing that happens today needs to be fixed by tomorrow. That doesn't mean that we don't need to talk about it today. It just means that we don't need to fix it today. And we try to tell them that we'll identify these things. We'll give you the opportunities to learn how to be successful at it. It's just going to take some time. Um, it's going to take some reps. Um, you know, any sort of skill acquisition, you have to, you know, you have to spend time practicing it. Um, so we try to give them the time and space to be able to do that. But but we talk about things a lot, and then I said we try to step away and give them, give us and them the space to grow and learn and move with it. And how do you project that philosophy to your coaching staff, Paul? What are some of the conversations you're having with your staff to get them on board with that? Um, I, I was really lucky uh, when I came to, to Wahoos um, that uh, one of the great strengths that it had was it had this real loyal um, group of coaches that were involved in the program, you know, over a really extended period of time. Um, so we have, we have had an age group coach, uh, Brooke, uh, Bruce Brockschmidt, who's been with Wahoos in one form or another since 1989. Um, and our kind of head development coach looks after our kind of 10 and unders and eight and unders. Chris Wagner has been here with the program since the, you know, the early to mid nineties. Um, so I was really lucky um, that I inherited 
a group of really knowledgeable, um, really committed, um, really good coaches. Um, so that's a great starting point because you know they're really good at what they do to begin with. Um, and they've been doing it a long time, which means they, they have that inbuilt patience. Um, they, they've, they've done it here and they've learned how to do it here and learned how to do it better here. So, so that was, was nothing to do with me. That was something I was lucky enough to walk into. And the same thing with the coaches now, we just really try to talk about things. Um, and, you know, if we go to a meet, we try to take a step back and evaluate it before we start communicating with the swimmers. So you know, they have an opportunity to use me as a sounding board. Um, I have an opportunity to share with them some observations and some guidance. Um, but very much with the swimmers, we just try to talk about it as often as possible and have a plan then on how we're going to make the changes that we're, we see. There are a few things better than having coaches on your staff who have a tremendous amount of pride for the program. You're very lucky there. Yeah, our, we know it when we're every single day. We we, we know how lucky we are with, with having such committed and loyal coaches. So talk to us a little bit, Paul, about your training philosophy. What are some of the, the guiding principles that create your yearly plan, your your mesocycle plan, your macro plan? How do you develop those things? Um, well, I think, you know, we always start at the end and, and work our way backwards. Um, and, you know, it's, I find it, I find it a little bit easier in the U.S. Um, than at home as things are a little bit more structured. You have a short course season and you have a long course season. So, you know, you have, you have your two endpoints um, almost create, you know, they're created for you. Um, so, you know, the first thing that we, we put in our annual plan is we put in those two endpoints for each of those seasons. Um, and from there, we just try to populate the, the annual plan with swim meets and we try to space them out a bit. We sure. try to have one, one, one meet a month, but never more than six weeks between them. Um, because, you know, we want to race, but we also want to give ourselves time from meet to meet to be able to, get, you know, go back and do some, do some reps to be able to take the lessons from, from a previous meet and make some adjustments as we go into the next meet. And ultimately just always trying to build, build, build until we get to the, until we get to the end of the season. So we have those priority meets, you know, set in stone. And then we have meets, as we said, somewhere from every three to six weeks apart, right way back into the start of the season. And then we just try to build training blocks from meet to meet. So normally, typically what we do is we put our meets at the end of a deload week um, so that we can use them to evaluate how training is going and how their race experience is developing. Um, and whether that's a, you know, four week cycle or a five week cycle or a six week cycle, you know, meets are fixed. You know, I, I can't always choose when the swim meets are. So we put in the ones that we want to go to and we build the training cycles around that. But typically we'd go a deload week into every meet um, so that we can use it as a real evaluation tool about how training has been progressing. Well, it seems to be working coach. And I do want to talk to you. You have many great athletes in your program, but you know, Henry McFadden at juniors, 133-0, wins the event, 416 in the 500, and then parlays both of those into a 144-200 fly. And then, of course, you have Maggie in, in the outstanding performance in the mile, 1601. There's a lot of combination of training that needs to happen to get a boy to be 133 and a young lady to go 1601. So what are some of those go-to favorite Paul sets 
that you like to see these kids progress on and it kind of helps you measure how they're doing throughout the year? So one of the things that we, we've we try to implement here at Wahoos from, from, from top to bottom is that we do have a lot of alignment and synergy between some of our core training uh, principles. Um, so we, you know, each of our, each of our training groups has an average volume per hour um, that, that, you know, we, we use ourselves to, to work to each of our, our training groups has basic intervals for, for freestyle, for the strokes and for kicking and stuff like that. Um, and at each of our training groups, um, we have three core training days a week, um, one based around freestyle, one based around uh, the individual medley, and, and, and one based around fly. Just every Friday, the whole program uh, just goes butterfly. That sounds um, like Greg Troy. And yeah, we, you know, you are what you, you, you're, you're around and what you learn from. Um, so I always loved it. It was always a great day of practice in Gainesville, and it's been a great day of practice here. Um, and um, so, you know, all our programs do that and all our athletes within the, the training squads do those days. Um, and I think then, you know, with the national team, you know, because they are, I don't like using the word older, but they're only teenagers, more experienced uh, trainers. And, um, you know, we'd have three days that we focus on some more specific trainability. So you might have, a, you know, a backstroke group, a breaststroke group and a distance group. And that's where you can start to individualize you know the kids based around what their their priority events are and then on top of that um you know in terms of their really challenging them around specific stuff you know we we go fast at least once a week um mostly twice a week sometimes three times a week so you know they've got sort of three kind of core training days three more specific training days which allows us to to have you know kids go in different directions and then when we're going more race specific quality stuff, again, we have the ability to go in a couple of different directions within that, within that similar structure and similar practice outline. So that's why I think what allows um, a kid like Henry to, to be successful and a, a kid like Maddie to be successful. Um, but they do definitely have a lot of overlap in, in, in what we do. And typically 50% of practice is everybody together always. I like that. I like the idea of everybody getting on board with some of the same principles that you're doing. And it certainly shows, right? I mean, Maddie's got a great 400 IM. She's 413 in high school. You know, she's going to swim for Yuri next year. It'll be really exciting to see how that goes. Um, and, and you know, it, it shows a little synergy, as you mentioned, between your training groups. You did say, Paul, that, that you have uh, different sets of intervals. Now, how do you calculate who goes on what? Um. Well, I think so. What we try to do from the program top to bottom is, you know, we are, you know, it's a it's a seven lane, 25 yard pool we train out of. And so there, there are um, restrictions on space wise. So each group has a, a B and C interval. Um, and um, and the C interval in one group should be the A interval of the group down below. So we just we were talking about Coach Bruce earlier. Coach Bruce coaches at. Uh, um, both our main age group squads are, we call it the horizon program, the horizon one and horizon two groups, which is mainly our, you know, one is a JO group and one is kind of a 10 and under group. Um, so the C interval on the national team would match the A interval on our horizon one team and the C interval on the horizon one team would match the A interval on the horizon two team. So, you know, the coach's job 
is, you know, I'm trying to get the kids ready for, for college and the challenges that um, are going to be presented there. And, you know, Coach Bruce's job is to try to get the kids ready for the next level up within Jersey Wahoos. So, you know, we feel that by having that alignment uh, in the basic training intervals, um, we create that, you know, natural stepping stone for them to go up. So when they do move up a group, there's enough things changing already. They're going to do more hours. They're going to do more time. Um, so at least there's something consistent they're already for, and that's the training interval. They'll be ready to come in, and that won't be something new because we don't want them to be overwhelmed uh, when they make a transition or when they when when they change. There's already enough going on around them, so we think those those basic intervals. And again, we just start again like an annual plan. We we start at the end and we work our way backwards. So you know we might have a you know with the national squad it might be for freestyle. The A interval might be one hundred five, the B interval one hundred ten, and the C interval one hundred fifteen. And then for our stroke and IM stuff, it might be the A interval be 110, the B interval be 115, the C interval be 120. And then for our kicking and breaststroke, maybe the A interval is 120, the B interval is 125, the C interval is 130. And then we just run that same very simple pattern right the way down the group. So the A interval for freestyle in, in, in our main kind of JO age group is, is 115. So they're, they're preparing themselves for, the, for that move up uh, when the time comes. If they choose, that's what they want to do. Coach, it sounds to me uh, that you, you have a very similar philosophy in that, that that aerobic development is really important. And I know people get caught up in buzzwords this day and age, but talk to me about why aerobic development in your program is important. Um, so I am a, a, a great believer in that, um, you know, at the very, very top of our sport, the limiting factor in performance is, is your level of skill. Um, but to get to the point where the level of skill is going to be the different differentiating factor, you've got to do a lot of reps to be able to get there. So what we try to do is we try to develop a program. I said, with an average volume per hour as those basic intervals across the full range of strokes and components that are involved in swimming. Um, and we try to increase the number of reps that they have the opportunity to do over an extended period of time. So over a four to 10 year period of time. And within the, the aerobic work that we do, within the amount of reps that they get to do, we're constantly encouraging them and trying to teach them to do it a little bit better from a skill point of view as well. Not, not perfect. Um, because I think in the, in the chase for perfection, you might miss out the opportunity to be really great. Um, so we just try to, to mesh the two together that, you know, we're doing a, a really good aerobic based training combined with, and just like we have basic intervals, we have basic skills that we want them to try to get better at combined with those two things together. We think that's a good recipe for long-term success. No doubt about it. And coach, talk to us about the number of workouts your horizon groups are doing and then the number of workouts your national team's doing. So the national team's going going nine workouts a week. And we go, you know, every afternoon and, and Saturday morning. Um, our afternoons are two hours and 15 minutes and Saturday morning is two hours, 45 minutes. Um, and then we go three mornings a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, and we go for an hour in the mornings. Um, but they have the option to go from five to six or from six to seven. 
Um, and that's just dependent on their school schedule. Um, it was one of the things we talked about patients when I first and joined uh, Wahoo's back in 2018, one of the things I committed to doing was I wasn't going to change anything my first year. Now, if you ask them, they probably say, well, Paul changed everything. But that just goes to show you how much of a change just a personality is. Um, what I, you know, I didn't change any of the coaches or the coaching staff or the coaching schedule, and I didn't change any training schedules. But my first year, um, they were going Monday, Wednesday, Friday from 4.45 to 6.15. And I always feel like we can't keep getting earlier and earlier. There is a cutoff point. And, you know, I kind of feel 5 a.m. is the you know best practice out there. So I didn't like the 4.45. I felt it was turning people off coming to morning practice. And at 6.15, we had, we had kids that had to get out of school to be in school on time at 6 o'clock. Mm -hmm. And it was just disrupting practice. And I said, you know what? Maybe there's a better way of doing this where we can encourage people to come more in the mornings and, and give them more value for it. So, you know, I'm on deck from five to seven, but the kids have the option to go from five to six or from six to seven. And then what we found is that whenever they might need to do something a little bit extra or something a little bit individual, you know, they can stay after six o'clock if they're in from five to six. And they can do something just for themselves because that's their extra time that they're committing to it. So we might have, you know, in a meet week, a kid might come to me and say, you know, Paul, I'm really, you know, we haven't gone off the blocks much since the last meet. Do you mind if I just stayed for 20 minutes on Wednesday morning and we did a few starts? Of course, well, what, a, what a great thing that we were able to facilitate. Um, so, so that's how we do the morning. So they're getting, you know, 17 hours a week in the water across those nine practices. Then in our Horizon One group, which I said is that kind of main JO group, um, they're going six days a week, six practices a week for, for 10 hours. Um, and with the eighth graders, we'll start adding in and inviting them to a morning. So again, it's not a huge shock to the system if they choose to move up to the national team, all of a sudden they've got these three mornings and they've never done a morning before. And you know, and school starts a bit earlier here as well when you go to high school. So they're already going to have that hit them. And mm. um, so, you know, the eighth graders will start coming in on a Monday morning. Um and then maybe later in the year, maybe they start coming in on a Monday and a Friday morning just to give them that little bit of extra training because they might have been in that group for a couple of years. So just to add a stimulus, um, but also to allow them to find a rhythm and a routine to their you know, new kind of weekly outline that they're going to have to deal with. So they're going, I said, 10 hours a week and some of the eighth graders may be doing a couple of mornings in addition to that. And then our Horizon 2 group, which is kind of our best 10 and unders, we would still have quite a few 11 or 12s in there, especially if they were late starters in the sport. And um, they're going around seven hours a week. Again, they're, they're spread over five days, not six. Um, and they're probably going seven hours a week in total. Sure. You actually have the perfect example for coaches, especially young coaches, to learn from when you have a boy that's a little bit more inclined to have high success in middle distance events. Though... The way that he's swimming, Henry could probably go up or down. And then you have Maddie, who is really more of a 1,400 IM mile swimmer. When you're getting ready for championship preparation, how do they differentiate in their workouts? So it's 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 kind of the same as we spoke about the kind of the, the weekly outline there. And there's there's some alignment and then there's some flexibility. And I think when you're dealing with like there's 35 kids in the national team here. Um, um, and when you're dealing with so many different personalities um, and so many different physiologies, 
what we try to do is we try to have a really good framework and a really consistent framework that, that we stick to broadly. And then within that, we have loads of gray area that, that we can play around with. So when we go into our kind of preparation phase for, for championship season, you know, we typically try to find a meet three to four weeks out. And we give them, you know, three days rest for it. So we really get an idea of where they're at. And then coming out of that meet, we'll shift out of our regular weekly outline and we'll just move into a three-day cycle. Um, very standard, you know, again, something I learned while I was down at UF, something I've heard loads of coaches talk about where we just go, you know, we call it a, a pink day, it's our aerobic day, you know, a pace day, which is more quality swimming, and then a pop day where we do a bit more speed stuff. Um, and we run that that three-day cycle. And again, depending on the individual, maybe some of them, their overall volume is a little bit more, maybe some is a little bit less. When we're doing our quality day, again, we have the opportunity to do a set for those middle distance guys, a set for those distance guys that hits what they need. Um, and then, you know, in that third day, that pop day, we really have a chance to look at them individually. Uh, and, you know, maybe spend a bit more time on a technical thing that someone needs just to refine or just like a kid like Maddie, just keep her moving a little bit more on that day. So again, within that framework, when we're pretty organized. We know when we get into that, that, that pace day, we have the ability to do a couple of different um, sets. And then on that pop day, we have the ability to, to really be a bit more individual with what they need. Um, and what we always try to do is we try to have everybody in small pods. Nobody's ever an island. Mm. Um, because socially, you know, we want them to have those connections and those relationships and that support for when they're they're doing what we ask them to do. Absolutely. That's so important, especially as you get ready for a big meet. That's an island. If you're, you know, that lonely 400 IM or distance swimmer doing extra stuff and you're by yourself, it, it usually doesn't work out well. Uh, coach, what are some things that you learned working with athletes like Shane Ryan, like a Barry Murphy that you take back? We talked about what you learned from working with the little guys. What did you learn from working with those elite level world-class athletes? Um, well, when you're working with older people, um, they're, they're, like they weren't kids. Um, you know, Barry had a, had had a very successful, um, junior career in Ireland, a very successful, you know, collegiate career in Tennessee, and had spent you know a period of time with the pro group at, at the University of Michigan with Club Wolverine, and um, so when when Barry came back to to Ireland, um, he was a grown man, um, and uh, you know you really want to lean into his experiences um, and his knowledge and allow them the chance to to feed into what they're doing. So I think one of the things we did with, with both of them um, was we we're real clear up front with what our expectations were. Um, so before they, they decided it was a program they wanted to train in, we were real clear with them around what our expectations around the number of practices a week, um, and, you know, all, all that basic stuff and, and gave them a real clear plan and gave them a chance to give some feedback on it and had a conversation and, you know, we pretty much had an agreement in place before before they stepped foot in deck for their first practice. Um, and what we tried to do with, you know, and we worked with Barry first, and we tried to do with Barry was, again, nine practices a week. Three of them, he went with the group. Three of them, the group went with him. And three of them, he went on his own. 
Um, and, you know, the ones where he went with the group, um, he was really keen on giving back to Irish swimming at the age he was at. Uh, it was fantastic because we had some a very young group of boys in the, the, the training center at the time. And um, so it was great for for them to see him just getting in and training with them. Um, and then, you know, the three days a week where he might be doing something more specific, he might just lift a couple of them out. And it was just a great opportunity for them to to train and race you know, Irish Olympian Barry Murphy. Um, and then, the, then, you know, we gave him the space where three times a week he came in and it was one-on-one with one-on-one with me. And we talk a lot about technical things that he wanted to work on and some, some, you know, speed and power stuff that he wanted to work on. Um, so that's how we tried to set it up. So there was a lot more collaboration um, a lot more one-on-one um, with it, but they're, they're grown men, they're adults and they've got a load of experience um in doing things and not doing things that we want to make sure and we listen to and gave them the opportunity the challenge is you still got to try to hold their feet to the fire um on the thing so just because they're experienced and just because they have this great knowledge base doesn't mean that they know everything um and i think that's the, the balance and act that you try to build in your relationship with them so but i loved working with those guys they were they're both great great people what are some of the things that athletes at that level paul do differently what do you think separates them from the rest they're really in touch with 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 what they do in the water and their feel for the water um and i don't know i don't know which comes first i don't know if they're they're successful because of that or you know because they you know barry was in his mid-20s shane was in his probably 20 years of age you know i don't know if it's because they've just got 10 years of experience behind them and they're really talented. It's a combination of those things, but they're really, really in tune with their feel for the water. I would say much more so than they were in tune with their feel for their bodies even. Because you know, the natural inkling with the feel for the body is and trying to do a little bit less. And I said, you got to try to keep their feet to the fire a bit to you know, keep them going on. But the one thing I always listened to was how they felt in the water from a technical point of view. And I always tried to give them time and space to work through that if they weren't feeling good in the water, give them the opportunity and warm up or in swim down or in a practice a week where they could just get in and figure it out. They didn't need me. They just needed time and space to be able to work through that. Sure. Um, sure. That was something that both of them had in common. Paul, one of the things that I've been most excited about in the last uh, three or four years, uh, especially since Tokyo is you know, the rise of the young athlete playing a role at the elite level. And, you know, certainly seeing it here with what Ron Aiken's done out at Sandpipers and uh, some of the club kids that have done so well. What are you most excited about here with American swimming moving forward with so much young talent? I mean, you know, you and I were standing there in the pool deck in Greensboro. You take a look at that women's 500 freestyle. I mean, those the top five times are right in the mix at NCAAs as high schoolers. It's, it's, it's unbelievable um, how fast and how deep it's gotten. And maybe that's the thing that's changed is, you know, there's always been, you look back at any Olympic games, there's always a 15 year old girl that's winning an Olympic medal. Um, now there might be five or six girls challenging to be that one girl. I, I think it's the depth that's gotten, you know, changed a lot. And that's, I think, pushing the standard up even higher. Because now what you have is you don't just have these this one 
you know, once in a generation of talent, you know, leading the way, you have pressure on that once in a generation of talent, making them even better. And the kids still chasing them and then hanging on to their coattails. And so it's just, um, you know, would Henry have gone 133-0 if there wasn't a guy going 133 low right behind him? Maybe he would, maybe, maybe he would have just gone 133-3. Um, but it's the challenge that these guys have um, that is, I think, pushing them onto new heights. Um, what am I most excited about? Um, you know, uh, uh, fast swimming is fun. Uh, it's fun to go to these meets and see these times being done. But like I said the thing that excites me the most is the competitiveness of it. Um, like 133-0, 10 yards of everybody else, 10 yards ahead of everybody else versus 133-0 racing 133-2. That's more exciting. Um, and it, it's nice to be on the, the good side of, of the win, but that won't always be the way because that's not how life works. Um, but it would still be exciting to be a part of it. Um, nice to have that. That last great underwater too. Yeah, you have to have great everything. You know, you have to be so good at everything. And I think that's the other thing. I think that's developed in in youth swimming is how skillful they are at a young age. So I, I just spoke about Barry and, and Shane, and I'm sure they're always skillful. I didn't work with them when they were age groupers, but I'm sure they're always skillful. But they definitely had a heightened level of skill later on in their career. Um. The kids in this generation have that heightened level of skill at like 13, 14 years of age for the girls, 15, 16 years of age for the boys. Um, you know, what the kids are doing underwater um, is what used to set aside the, the top two teams at NC2As only 10 years ago. So I, I think the level of skill that these kids are achieving at a young age is really what's made the, the, the difference as well. Because I don't think the, I don't think the work has changed. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, conversely, how amazed are you at how remarkable Katie Ledecky continues to be? The older she gets, it's now, you know, it's, it's almost like she looks so forward to that next Olympic Games and is still swimming so fast. And so many talented athletes, certainly Titmus, you know, being right up there, but there's some young kids that are coming hard. Summer McIntosh is going to be in the conversation. Uh, how amazed are you at the the amount of time that Ledecky's continued to just be at the top level? It's 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 uh, it's uh, you know it's unprecedented. It's it's and how fast she swims all the time. And like we had guys like Lochte and Phelps, and it was so amazing watching that generation. Um, of of male athletes and go at each other all the time, but I don't think they were so good all the time. Like they might have been so good every year. You know, someone like Ledecky is just so good all the time, and I, I don't know how she does it. Um, um, she must have an incredible passion. You can see, watched her around the deck, and we were in um, Knoxville, Tennessee, at the pro swim um last week, and um, she's just smiling all the time. And it's actually quite refreshing and quite nice just to see. And like we said earlier about the fun side of it, just to check yourself in that, you know, she doesn't have her head in, in her phone looking at video and splits all the time. She just has her head up interacting with people, smiling, talking and, and looking happy. And it's, as I said, it's just real refreshing to be around and, and real nice to be around. And what a great example and role model she is for, for everybody. 
Well, Paul, it's uh, been a, a great 45 minutes here with you. We really appreciate it. And uh, what do Jersey Wahoos have to look forward to in terms of meets for the rest of the season? So we're, you know, we're, we just said we were into pro swim uh, last week and the rest of the team were up at a long course meet in Rutgers. And um, we, we host a meet ourselves um, in four weeks time um, down in GCIT and the kids are right in the middle of high school season at the moment. So that's an exciting time for everybody. They're getting up and swimming fast a couple of times a week. Um, so really, you know, from, from here on till the first week of March, the build up will be to the state championship meet. And then you know, we'll have our, our Mid-Atlantic Senior Champ meet three weeks later at the, the, the last week of March. Um, and you know, the month of March in Mid-Atlantic is just you know week after week of meet. So we'll have our JOs and we'll have our 10 and under champs and we'll have our silver champs for the, for the kids that don't, don't quite make it to JOs or seniors. So it'll be a busy month of March that we look forward to. So we're just going to try and you know, put our head down and um, you know, do as much positive things as we can in the next kind of four to six weeks. You know, we're trying to put together a list of coaches' favorite foods, and I'm going to make it a little bit different for you is what's the one meal here in the U.S. that's just not the same as it is back home in Ireland? There are no meals in the U.S. that are the same as they are back home in Ireland. <laughs> yeah, so. I feel like you get a little bit more variety over here, huh? Um, no way. Everything's, everything's the same, same over here. Yeah, much more variety and much better quality back home in Ireland. I everything's bet. better. Everything's better in Ireland. That's awesome, man. Well, listen, Paul, we really appreciate your time. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks so much for your time. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.